Howdy folks, welcome back to the New Sprint Commando. I'm your host, Ed Moore. I'm looking at Justice Machine Volume 1, Issue Number 5 from Noble Comics. Cover dated, Winter 1983. If you want to leave feedback, you can tweet me at Teal Productions or News P Commando on Twitter, either of those. Uh, Teal Productions on Facebook is where I post the episodes on Facebook. The email address is imindieman, I-N-D-I-E, indie, at gmail.com. Comicbooknoise.com slash T-N-C, Tango November Charlie. And recently added, we have forums at justanotherfanboy.freeforums.net if you want to interact that way. Now, this issue has two stories in it, much as the previous issue did. Justice Machine, and the other, which is the other side of the flipbook, is Cobalt Blue, um, I guess number two, because it still says Justice Machine number five. I'll talk about both, but first, Justice Machine. We open up on the docks at the scene of a steam... Okay, let's try that again. At the site of a tramp steamer. There we go. Which I had to look up. I thought that that was an old term for this, but apparently it is a recognized term now. It's a type of uh, business that the tram, uh, the trammer, why am I doing that? That the tramp steamer does. Uh, it doesn't have a regular schedule, doesn't have regular occupants, regular workers, regular anything but a captain. Um, and so, I don't know. I guess they still vie nowadays. They did at least in 1983, which is when uh, Mr. Loeb's was writing about them. Which reminds me, this story is scripted for us by Bill Loeb's, penciled by Bill Reinhold, inked by Sam De La Rosa and Mike Gustavich, and lettered by Mike Gustavich. Now here we have a young lady that has just embarked from the steamer. Maybe. I'm not sure. Talking to a man who was formerly working on the steamer. Again, I'm not sure. It's a young lady all in yellow and a he definitely looks, looks like a merchant seaman uh, in blue. And as they're talking, someone who was on the steamer because the merchant says he was runs right between them, scared out of his wits down the docks. Now, we do have mention that these two are Thunder Agents, that is the Higher United Nations Defense Enforcement Reserves, which is another property at this time that I believe Noble had, Thunder Agents. So they're trying to to tie their books together, kind of on the download. That's the only mention. And there is a mention via ads of another property related to Noble Comics Justice Machine that I'll get into at the end of this story. But this gentleman running who was uh, working the steamer is running down the docks and suddenly this greenish creature uh, breaks through the docks from below. It's a green, oceany looking creature, long neck, sharp fins, webbed feet. For hands, for actually arms from the elbow down to what would be fingers, is kind of a uh, sharpened, the appendage comes to a sharpened point, almost a triangular kind of point. And it attacks the dude, picks him up, slams him onto the docks and kills him. Approaches the two that were talking, the seaman and the young lady. But then it jumps into the water there in the harbor 
swims down and into the hydroponic intake valve number three for New Haven. We cut to New Haven and we're introduced to Carolyn Marine Smith. People call her Smitty. She's been uh, working with Hammett, the owner, president, emeritus, leader of New Haven, whatever he wants to call himself, uh, long enough that she is one of about five people, including Hammond, that knows everything. She has access to everything. She has the codes to everything. So she is, as far as what goes on at New Haven, as knowledgeable as Hammond, who we have been shown to be the leader. So she's walking around looking for uh, Dr. Von Croft and is told that he's in operating room 12. And to really bring home her security clearance, uh, we're told about that, basically what I just said, just in better words than I used. On the operating room door, there's a sign that says no personnel below med security 7 clearance. So that's telling us that she has, you know, at least that. Uh, she goes to the observation room over what uh, Dr. Von Croft is doing. Via speaker tells him that uh, he'd like to see you in research lab B, level 4, when you've got a minute. We cut to, I believe, what's going to turn out to be research lab B on level 4, because here is Diviner. Um, although, why she's in a research lab, I don't know. But she was injured. Last issue. The cloak that she wore and perhaps was... Uh, psychically or psionically bonded to was cut in half and it did her mental damage. Um, the doctor here in another page or so tells us that it's as if the um, wire webbing in the cloak were nerves and neurons and somebody just came through and just sliced through all of them, slicing a portion of that uh, organ away, her cloak. And so that's the type of damage she has suffered. But as we're waiting here, uh, not waiting here, as we, we enter here, we see that Dr. Von Croft enters. Smitty is here, but she goes to get Hammett. Diviner is in the bed unconscious, and behind her are Titan, Talisman, and Demon. Just hanging around, waiting for her to get better, you know, just doing what teammates do when a member is uh terribly injured in the hospital. The doctor tells us that, uh, eh, I don't know, the prognosis is not very good. Hammett tells us mm, that's unfortunate because it needs to be good. Two more days and we're going to put her in a deep freeze. We're going to cryo-freeze her because we can't continue to do what we're doing and, and pay for that is his issue. Uh, I thought that was rather callous to throw out money, but okay. The doctor starts... Um, a little bit more intensively trying to determine what's going on with Diviner. He is a haunted man, apparently. We have a, um, a actually, it's not a panel. It's drawings in the gutter uh, that could be a panel, but it transitions from one panel to the next of faces, uh, head, head shots of many, many, many people. They're all red. They're all in various forms of discomfort uh, horrific visages that they all carry. Uh, they're in pain. They're scared, terrified, whatever. And it's this uh, amalgam of headshot faces all in red. And, and it's just this column of, of nightmare. 
and we see in the next panel that the doctor is affected. Uh, he looks as though he's in pain, sweating profusely, um, but I, I think it's it's memories uh, is is what it's going to turn out to be. All right, we have a little fraternization here between Blazer and another guy that asked her out, and she's blowing him off as Blazer and Talisman are uh, carrying a bunch of pop culture stuff to her uh, residence, her room. Uh, she is much into pop culture, and so she's just devouring everything she can get, tapes and novels and VCR movies and just everything. The green creature um, attacks the gentleman, and they give his name, I think, at the end of the story, but it's it's eluding me at the moment, uh, who was just talking to Blazer about the date. Um, this green creature that we saw at the beginning of the story attacks him, so it is inside New Haven now. We cut to... Demon and Challenger, who are working out together, their workout is interrupted by Talisman, who tells them that there has been a call for their assistance. Titan uh, is helping the doctor, who is continually plagued uh, by these reddish nimbus face things. And then Titan, too, is called uh, to assist with the rest of the justice machine they meet hammett in mm, his office it looks like and they report that this creature has entered the compound that it has attacked this dude i might have said that it killed him but it doesn't kill him because he shows up at the end of the story just uh damaged and um they don't understand what this creature is what it wants why it attacked him or anything but in searching i guess guess his room uh, they do find that he was reading a book rise and fall of the third reich uh, that's just kind of thrown out there uh, well i'll refer back to that in a minute so now they actually end up giving a red alert because they don't know where the creature is and they can't seem to find it they know it's wandering around they're getting reports of attacks but they they can't pin anything down so they Red alert the entire facility and send the justice machine out to find it. Lo and behold, the creature is found in the med bay where Diviner is being the creature being held at bay so far by Titan, but it, it, is, a, it is a losing battle for him. So the rest of justice machine attempt to come to the rescue. Blazer flying around zaps the creature in the eyeballs with fire and the creature reflexively knocks her out of the air. Titan catches her. Demon attacks, but it really doesn't do any good because the creature is bigger and stronger than that. And so now the demon captures, or uh, the creature captures demon, excuse me. Uh, the doctor, after having been uh, initially waylaid in the battle, now is awake and cognizant and runs into the midst of the battle, telling him, no, no, let it take me, let it have me. There will be less loss of life. Talisman knocks him out, says, oh, you're being, you know, whatever, sit down. Uh, and he grabs Talisman, grabs a sword of some sort that when he presses a button becomes electrified. So he attacks the creature with that, which doesn't really seem to do much but annoy the creature. It doesn't really do it any damage. Everyone else comes back into the uh, battle. Finally, here we see Challenger, who uses a sonic flare that renders the creature insensate, almost like it's uh, asleep. And then Titan, with uh, two, three, four blows, finally knocks it unconscious. 
Half an hour later, we see that the creature is restrained in a in a Bacta tank. Uh, for you Star Wars fans, that's what it looks like to me, anyways. And then the doctor is inspecting the creature and says, "The arm it is tattooed. No, it can't be." So now, automatically, uh, or not automatically, but right here, uh, I I see where they're going, and maybe I was a goober for not seeing it sooner. The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich was the book that the other dude was reading to, I think, try to discern something about the Doctor. The Doctor is haunted by these people, these faces. These Turns out he was a Nazi surgeon at Dachau, and these are his victims that haunt him. I suspect that the tattoo on the creature's arm must be one of the uh, Jewish registration numbers that were, or not Jewish, but the incarcerated registration numbers that you hear frequently from Jewish survivors. They have the, just a number tattooed on their arm. I suspect that's what the doctor sees, realizes that one of his experiments has come back to haunt him. He retells the story here briefly in three panels and, I don't know, 30 words or so. Hammett didn't realize this. Um, the doctor is haunted by this. Creature escapes, and just as Justice Machine is about to try to subdue it again, the creature runs off. It, it apparently just wants to leave. Hammett tells security to stand down, tells them to open the exit uh, ways to the ocean, the water so that it can go back out that way since it's a uh, evidently an oceanic type creature. And the final story scene is Blazer here in the infirmary talking to, yeah, I thought this was where they gave his name, but I don't see it. Uh, talking to the dude that was asking her for a date that was initially attacked about midway through the story. And they have a little tete-a-tete, -tete, and they refer to the doctor who we see here walking around the med bay. But we see him as an outline filled with red. The, the outline of the, the person is colored red. And the red space is filled with these faces, um, alluding to the fact that all he is is the haunted faces of what he's done in the past, I guess. Hmm. But alas... We will never know because this story, this sequence, these five issues are never referred to again. Uh, we then have a series of ads before we get into the back of the um, Cobalt Blue flip story. The ads are for the Justice Machine Sketchbook Portfolio 1, which I would love to get my hands on because names that are dropped are Anderson, Byrne, De La Rosa, Gamel, Grell, Gustavich. Hembeck, Perez, Reinhold, Tangal, Wallace, Willingham, and Zeck. Good grief, man. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, here's a full-page ad for Coming Soon in His Own Book, Cobalt Blue, uh, illustrated by, I believe, Mike Gustavich. Next page is an ad for The Justice Machine 2, 3, and 4, which are still available via back issue for two fifty a copy and $1.50 handling. Not bad. Two, four, six, seven and a half, eight, nine bucks. Nine bucks, you could get those three books. Mm, do it. No number one. I guess they sold out on number one. Uh, now, keep in mind, one, two, and three were magazine size. 
4 and 5 were regular comic size. And best of all of the ads, and this is not the last ad. Well, nah, yes and no. It's, it's a tie with the very last ad. Two-page spread, black and white. Now, all of these ads are white pages with black pencils, black inks. In the middle, Noble Comics. Introducing the Elementals, the Justice Machine Annual 1, coming this winter. And it's got, mm, I think this is actually the cover, uh, if I recall, for that. The cover was Gatefold, and I, I believe that's what this is. Now, for those of you interested in the next installment of the Justice Machine, it is in this annual that introduces the Elementals who were going who were in i think negotiation at the this point to be a property that no noble published this is the only noble appearance of the elementals in this annual now i kirk spencer and iowa's joe talked about this annual and the four issue elementals mini series on canceled comics cavalcast episode 1 back was published December 28th, 2021, on the 21st Century Boys A Crawford Comic Cast show. Now, the Crawford, the 21st Century Boys show is still going. Unfortunately, the canceled comics Cavalcast show has been shelved for the time being. Uh, two episodes. We did that episode on Elementals, and then we did an episode uh, on 1992-93 Image Number 1 books in honor of Image's anniversary this year. But that is not the story. Elementals, Justice Machine, Annual, Noble Comics, there it was talked about. All right, in the book here, next ad is for Bill Black's Fun Comics with art by Jack Kirby, Pet Broderick, Jerry Ordway, and others. This is the third issue. Looks like it's got Bullseye in it, Phantom Lady, Captain Paragon, and Commando something. Maybe Commando D? I can't tell what the letter is. Next ad is for Basically Strange, premiere of the most exciting new magazine of 1982. Order your collector's edition today. Alex Toth, Frank Thorne, Wally Wood, Vincent Alcazar, Casey Brennan, Richard Corbin are creators involved in that one. Again, woof. And then the final black and white ad is for The Elementals Are Coming, Monolith, Vortex, Morningstar, Fathom. And this is an illustration by Will, Bill Willingham, the creator. Um, Elementals are my all-time favorite superhero team. Um, I, I hesitated talking about them on, on this show because it, that would just be too easy. Um, I've read them over and over over the years. I've really enjoyed them. I might get back to it, but I mean, there's... 60, probably 75, 80 different books for Elementals. And that just wasn't necessarily something that I wanted to get into for this show because that's a that's a long commit for both me reading and talking about it and you listening to basically one topic. Maybe Elementals fans out there, as I said, I am one. I'm a huge Elementals fan. I wish they would come back. Uh, I believe that it is my understanding that the same dude that bilked Rob Liefeld out of the rights to Youngblood and several more of his characters is also the dude that owns the rights to Elementals. Um, I'm not sure about the method. I can't say that he bilked Bill Willingham out of them. Uh, Bill Willingham at the time sold him to the uh, recent 
purchaser of Kamiko at the time, and yeah, so there's I think there's a storied history of how this this person owns Elementals, but it is pretty well known that he bilked uh, Rob out of the rights to Youngblood and several of the characters, uh, including I believe Supreme. Actually, come to think of it. Uh, Rob does own Profit, as Profit is coming out in a remastered edition of issue number one next week, I think, as I record this, which will be far in your past when you guys listen to this episode. But I digress. Cobalt Blue, number two, I guess. Scripted by Mike Gustavich, penciled by Bill Reinhold, inked by Mike Gustavich, Bob Layton, and Jeff D. Colors by Kevin Simbeta. Letters by Artist machine again this is cover dated what did i say winter 1983 yes so the story continues uh, it doesn't open because this is a continuation of cobalt blue from justice machine 4 last episode we are still on the docks yes we are still sitting on the dock of the bay Wasting time. No, we're not wasting time. And this is Detroit. Uh, the Detroit River, I think, is the docks. Police are rushing as Cobalt Blue is trying to handle himself against who he is killing, uh, describing, sorry, who he is naming as Overkill. It's a giant mechanoid. Um, I'm not necessarily sure if that's a robot or a robot shelled creature or, you know, I don't necessarily know the definition of a mechanoid, and I don't believe they really give it to us. But the battle is going back and forth. Um, Cobalt Blue, in his blue energy, can't seem to get to the robot, because every time he fires any of his energy abilities, a force field lights up around the robot, dissipating, protecting it against energy attacks. Cobalt does notice that the as the robot fires energy beams from its hands, it has to make fists of its hands. When it makes fists of its hands, the force field, repulsor field, what have you, goes away so that it can shoot because otherwise it's completely in, enveloped by that field. So in order to loose the energy, it has to uh, disengage that covering field. So they go back and forth. Cobalt knocks it into the water. The mechanoid jumps up through the this portion of the dock, trashing it, throwing Cobalt into the water. It then attacks him in the water. And as it is preparing to fire, again, the energy weapon it possesses, Cobalt Blue notices, hits it with one of his blue rays, does internal injuries to the amount of 67%, says Overkill, which is more than it can handle. It disengages runs away to lick its wounds and attack another day. Or so we think. But no, Overkill says, I have one more weapon. And then we have panel of the city and another panel of the city. And then a third panel of a giant mushroom cloud with the word detonate. So apparently Overkill had a self-destruct that was large. We go to space uh, where we see that there is a spaceship in geosynchronous orbit over Detroit watching the proceedings. After this explosion, it heads down. We see from above that there's a huge portion of geography that is covered by a, a spherical shield of some sort or a, a half sphere. You, you know, you've seen it, a dome, right? over top of whatever it is, really covers a very, very large area of geography. 
Well, the ship enters it eight miles away and half a day later. So eight miles was the distance we are to assume that the explosion did some amount of damage to. At the very least, eight miles away is one edge eight miles away and half a day later. So I would assume that the eight miles is the epicenter. So this dome is 16 miles on the surface wide. So the uh, diameter is 16 miles. Don't know what the radius would be. I didn't do that math. The police for, uh, I would assume Detroit have gathered uh, emergency services, uh, all told, have gathered there. Find that there's a shield uh, there. There is three... Um, I don't know who they are supposed to be. I don't know if they're agents of something or if they're just emergency medical people. We'll, we'll go with that. They're, they're from someone who is going in to see what has occurred because nobody knows what it's like. Uh, they've waited half a day, 12 hours roughly later. So they're in um, radiation suits, chemical suits, um, environmental suits. Find that if they move slowly enough, they can penetrate this covering force field. So they go in and they see from where they are, you know, there are just some messed up cars and, and buildings. There's no, there's nothing living, no animals, pets, no people. And then the closer they get to the epicenter, the more the destruction is complete until at the epicenter, all there is is dust and sand and this huge, really pointy, sharp, knobby, blue crystal pillar. So they start trying to investigate that, but a shadow covers them as the ship that entered earlier that was watching uh, the destruction has now come to stop over top the epicenter, this blue crystal. A What I will assume is a small flying mechanoid drops out, assaults them, killing one immediately, but one of the other members throws his equipment and destroys the ship. The little it, It's a little flying ship with arms. It falls to the ground, but is replaced in maybe in space or just in their attention by a large mechanoid that is walking upright. And it grabs the dude that threw the equipment and destroyed the other mechanoid and breaks his neck. As the third member of the group, who is a female, is watching her teammate be killed she notices a couple other mechanoids dropping via a you know a, like a gravity beam or something like that from the ship so now there's three down here they start dogging and chasing her and as they're doing this the big crystal monument thing whatever it is starts to vibrate starts to rattle and out breaks from inside it cobalt blue yelling out for cobalt blue walks the earth again because um yeah okay it didn't start that. That was just his comment. I guess he thought the rest of it. I don't know. So the large uh, upright mechanoid that just killed the crew member by breaking his neck turns his attention to Cobalt Blue. The two mechanoids that drop down via transport beam uh, are focusing on the girl. They're about to do her dirty. Looks like mm, maybe there's a little one who has her hair pulled back and her um, neck pull, uh, exposed and maybe this other one is going to uh, cut her head off with like a laser or something like that. You can't really tell. But something nefarious is going to happen. Draws Cobalt's attention. He quickly dispatches the mechanoid he's dealing with. 
runs up and with a blue eye beam slices this weapon that is going to dispatch the girl from the arm of the assailing mechanoid. She then picks it up and finds that she can operate it, which I find completely unbelievable, but shoots the small robot that was dogging her, that was holding her down, and then turns its attention on the large mechanoid that was attacking Cobalt Blue, um, giving him the opportunity to, to break into the mechanoid and find out that it is a uh, an automaton controlled from within by a small, big-eyed, amoeba, ganglionic-looking creature, an alien. So she, the investigator left of the trio that went in, kills it with the weapon that she still is able to fire. The ship realizes what's going on, and gravity beams them, Cobalt Blue and the surviving EMS person, surviving whatever organization she is, pulls them up into the ship, and just, you know, there's some fighting back and forth, whatever, whatever. Ultimately, they are just stymied by the sheer number of mechanoids that are on the ship. They're overcome, captured. Cobalt Blue is then put on this rather upright-looking, symbolic, uh, Christian um, pose, arms and hands held, while she is being just subdued by the robots physically. They're just holding her back. The prime mechanoid uh, in looking at the captured Cobalt Blue says, We know that you are not typical of your species, human, and we wish to know the secrets of your strength and endurance. Soon, our brain pools will strip you of your knowledge, and when we are certain that no others like yourself exist, then shall the mechanoids take the earth. And, and it is saying this uh, psionically, telepathically, rather. Our final page is of the just outside of the barrier where all the EMS and, and human officials have gathered. They have some monitoring equipment here, and they see that the seismograph is going off and find out that there is a three-block-long something digging its way underground towards them, is what it says. And we see a picture of it, and it looks like a six-armed mechanoid with a really hideous mouth and a big eye emitting a red eye beam that is, I guess, melting or disintegrating the ground. And that's how it's digging forward. And so that ends the Cobalt Blue installment of Justice Machine 5 from Noble Comics. Now, what happened to Cobalt Blue? I don't know. Uh, I'm, uh, he did pop up later on, I believe. Uh, I don't know if it was Mike Gustavich who it was. I don't know where it was. And I don't know because that was not the focus of the episode. Justice Machine was. So I let that one fall to the wayside. So as I said, this is the last Justice Machine regular Noble Comics issue. The last of this volume, anyways. There is an appearance in that annual uh, crossover, Justice Machine and Elementals. And then I believe the next place that the Justice Machine pops up is at Kamiko, because the people who had put out some things for Noble at this time, when Noble went under, went to, were courted by, whatever, Kamiko. Because I know Elementals pops up there, I know Justice Machine pops up there, and Cobalt Blue may pop up there, but not immediately like these guys do. And... That is the story of Justice Machine from Noble Comics, the last five episodes. Thank you for listening.
Um, as to what I'm going to do next, unfortunately for you uh, and, and me, as I don't know what I'm going to record, what I need to pull right now as I'm in the recording mode, um, I don't know what it is. I don't know where I'm going to go. Uh, I had an idea, but I believe I have taken that idea and I'm going to record for it for a guest slot on another uh, podcast that I've been asked to help with. So, um, I don't know. I'm looking at maybe, you know, six, five, six to maybe ten episodes or so, you know, to be the next uh, chapter of, of the show, next segment. And I don't know what I have that would fit that that I, I want to talk about. So, uh, when I get done here, I'll sequester myself in my comic book room and start looking around until I find something suitable. And when I have that, I will sit down and record the first episode. And that is, unfortunately, when you'll have to find out what it is because, um, I don't know, I may announce it on the social webs. I don't know how many folks listening follow social webs. So I don't know how many people are listening. So there we go. Uh, contact information at the top of the show. Thanks for hanging in and listening, guys. I hope you know you found Justice Machine interesting. I hope you found the Capital Comics coverage interesting. I know I did. Um, the Capital Comics stuff I had not read before. This Justice Machine volume I have read before. So I'm having a pretty good time with these, and uh, I hope you are too. Thanks a lot for listening, guys. I'll talk to you next time. Ciao. Ciao.